Blog Talk Radio. Chickenwaterer.com. That's chickenwaterer.com. 
Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Again, a great show today. Richard Frudenberger, publisher of Backcomb Magazine, talking about fire safety in and around the homestead. He has called in. He is in the caller queue. Let's head there now. And first... Let's give them a big round and uh, of applause for coming on the show today. Hey, Richard, thanks for uh, joining us. Hope you had a, a great Thanksgiving with family and friends this year. Yeah, yeah, everything's fine. Uh, pleasant day, and, uh, you know, I know we skipped the show that day, but uh, here we are now. There we are, absolutely. Great topic, a timely topic. And, um, in fact, just uh, earlier last week, I saw where a... Uh, I um, a, uh, believe it was a dad and a daughter, or a grandfather and her a uh, granddaughter. I can't remember. Um, uh, were deceased because of um, uh, and there actually it was a fifth wheel camper that they had that they were camping out in and uh, had the furnace going and uh, did not have a uh, uh, carbon monoxide detector uh, in in there and uh, they both uh, succumbed to to that uh, poisoning. And uh, you see that normally around this time of year, and people crank up those eaters for the first time. Maybe birds have made a nest in the exhaust vent. Uh, insects, you know, you just never know. Dirt daubers and things like that. Uh, but so it's, I mean, even in, in, uh, even last year we saw where a um, uh, a couple, a young couple, went to a Talladega raceway, and it, uh, this was a cold snap, and uh, they were camping out, getting ready for the race the next day, and. Um, had had turned on the furnace in their uh, travel trailer and and uh, the husband died and 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 wife was in critical condition for a long time. I think she has since recovered. I'm not sure at what level of recovery regarding any type of disability or brain damage, but it was uh, you know it was that first time they had cranked it up. Um, they said for the season and um, 
and then and again we even see it in homes uh, as well. So talking about first thing we did when we moved into uh, the house uh, we're currently in in the house before, uh, right down the street was uh, immediately went out and purchased. Um, smoke detector for every bedroom and the hallways and the kitchen. Uh, I even have one uh, in, in the uh, carport area in case there's a car fire, which is right outside the bedroom. We'll be able to notice that. I, you know, a former paramedic and firefighter, um, you know, I've seen this before. So it's, it's uh, I want to say, you know, near and dear to my heart, but that's something that I, you know, I make it uh, in the budget to buy some of these things. We just moved to the house kind of just down the street that uh, Jim's parents owned. And, um, and same thing, my first purchase when we started staying in there full-time was, uh, I think it was five or six uh, smoke detectors. And uh, uh, we do not have the carbon monoxide in that because we do not have any fuel source. Everything in the house is 100% uh, electric. But in the house we moved from, also an old house built in the early 1900s, we had the, uh, the newer, more modern infrared um, propane heaters in each of the three bedrooms and living room. And uh, and that was the first thing I did. I had those installed, bam, right up at the carbon monoxide detectors. We have one in our camper, of course. I check it um, twice a year, sometimes more, because I get you know, my sticker on that, changing the batteries at least once a year, sometimes twice a year. When we're going two big uh, book tours, we're on the road for uh, six weeks, two months at a time, then I always check everything before we had that. And we have a, a LP. Uh, propane detector in there too as well that I have to t- I have to test. So it's uh, again having the background that I have, I've seen uh, the seriousness of the <laughs> of the negativity. If you don't, you know, take due diligence and uh, and, and protect, you know, the, the when we pur- purchased a house, our very first house ever after we got married, had a, a chimney place, and I, I called the chimney sweep to come out, inspect it, check it, make sure everything's good, can I burn, is it just a decorative log fireplace, can I burn wood in it as well, I wasn't sure, uh, looking at whatever, kind of the creosote, um, the house we have now uh, that was put on the market, built in 1910, um, same thing, chimney sweep, swept it out, inspected it, um, you know, the you know the whole creosote, checking for it, see if it was safe to burn coal or wood. Uh, if I made the choice to do so, and um, so so we take uh, we take this topic very seriously, um, and we don't even have you know don't do the wood stove. I know that's very popular, especially up in the northern states where you got wood stoves you need to maintain, and and anything that's combustible or burning, you got to have that uh, that carbon monoxide detector. So a timely topic. We're glad you chose it, and uh, we're ready to learn all about it. Yeah, and the re- one of the reasons I chose it was because just in my you know my own situation um, wood heat is a is a big deal it's you know almost all the heat and uh, then I realized that there's in the in preparing for the winter with wood heat there's also a lot of a lot of things that uh, uh, cover conventional heating and conventional uh, living as well even if people don't have wood you know wood heating appliances like stoves and standalone stoves or in fireplace inserts and some some folks even have um, uh, wood cook stoves, not too many, but um, uh, you know there are a number of people that like the uh, both the warmth and the and the uh, just the charm of them. Uh, if the house is you know is big enough to uh, to uh, you know handle that, um, but you know there's some safety things I was going to talk about, and then we are going to cover um, uh, some things about smoke detectors information about smoke detectors, carbon monoxide detectors, and fire extinguishers. And the fire extinguishers are sort of an eye-opener for a lot of people because the ones 
you normally see are really not that not quite <laughs> adequate adequate for the situation. Um, right. most and also, the thing about the smoke detectors, a lot of people don't know, there's, uh, I know, at least two, maybe three different technologies that you can purchase, something like ionic and photogen, photogenic, maybe, I forget, but there are two. One, I guess, does more of a, more sensitive to smoke, I know you'll get into this, one is more sensitive to maybe heat or flame, it's two different technologies, um, and, and I'm sure you'll cover those and recommend maybe which one would be best for our uh, situation. And then uh, you're right, as, as a former firefighter, um, we always would talk about fire extinguishers and, and talk about how there's been a lot of people found dead with fire extinguishers in their hands. Um, and, and that's why the, on, on the fire end of it, uh, they always preach and teach, just get out, just, just get out. And then, again, as a firefighter, still I have a hard time a little bit with that because something I can grab that uh, adequate extinguisher, I may be able to save a lot of property damage, maybe save life, you know, insurance, the whole nine yards, but at the same time, it's not worth my life. But but there have been plenty of people found dead in a fire with fire extinguishers in their hand, whether because it was adequate, they didn't know how to use it, um, with the, um, uh, you know, the, the, the pull and aim and sweep and, you know, the, the, you know the, at the base of the fire, with, you know, how to use them. Um, and then you're right, sometimes they have these tiny little plastic ones. I've got one uh, in, in the uh, in the RV, just a tiny little plastic one. It would be nothing but uh, probably a waste of time as fast as that thing is going to light up. But um, but you'll have these tiny ones under the kitchen sink. That, that uh, But you're absolutely correct. But I want to add that because of the, 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 hopefully you'll cover that with the, regarding the different types of smoke detectors as well. And I wanted to add that before I forgot about the uh been plenty of, uh, as firefighters, you know, dead folks literally with fire extinguishers in their hands for, for many reasons instead of just evacuating and getting out, uh, doing too much, too little, too late type of thing. So, um, yeah, so ca- carry on. That'll be good information. Yeah, and that, you're absolutely right. Uh, the, uh, you know, in, in many situations, especially when there's children involved uh, or a number of people involved, it's, it it is uh important to get everybody out before worrying about the actual fire um once the um you know it's just it's just a, uh, totally dependent on the situation and the equipment um and the other problem is people are sometimes reluctant to call the fire department uh they might might think well it's just a small flare up and um and they think they can handle it and it, it and it may become very quickly something serious and they waited too long um it it uh, you know, it's always a, a good idea to call the authorities first in anything you know serious or, or that could be serious, and then and then take it from there, because that the moments lost can be you know can be devastating, you know both uh-huh. for life for and for uh, uh, property. So, um, you know, and that and that really varies. I mean, how long, how far the uh, station is from the house, and what type of um you know in, in suburban areas or in areas where there's a hydrants you know what how far from the hydrant is the house and you know all that kind of thing but that's really not your you know not your concern just to pick up the phone and call is the only thing you can really do uh, early on and uh and you know that's always a good a good thing to remember it's not it, it may be embarrassing to have people come out and it's a false alarm but they it happens all the time and and you know they're they're used to it so um you know, I think you'll agree with me on that. Uh, and yeah, better safe than sorry. You're exactly right. And uh, and let's face it, um, uh, I've, I've preached this before too. Uh, being with both fire department as a trained firefighter and, and then full time EMS as well, um, 
you know, yes, I feel honestly from the bottom of my heart it is a good thing to have cross trained. It's kind of off topic. Uh, EMPs and paramedics on the on the fire engines because a lot of times they are the first responders. They get there first before me and the ambulance can get there because they're an EMT and a paramedic. Um, they're not transporting you. They're not putting you on the, ho- the hose bed and taking you to the hospital. But they can start that urgent care ahead of time. I know it's not fire related, um, but but then um, uh, so so that's a good thing. But I, I, to be honest with you, too, it's a firm belief that the fire department started doing that. Um, unfortunately, maybe not because it's the best thing to do, but because they had to justify their numbers. As we've gotten more into modern America, houses have become safer, heating sources have become safer. Those wheels were not rolling, but they needed more budget. They wanted more budget. So how can we get more money from the taxpayers? Oh, we can start running these trucks. We can have more calls. Then at the end of the year, we want more money. Look. We ran all these calls this year, so we need to justify our bigger budget. Um, yes, saving some lives, absolutely, without a doubt. But if they weren't cross-training, if they were just fighting fires, if they were just doing the extrications of the car wreck, things like that, um, their their budget wouldn't increase as much. They had to justify their existence with, with, with rolling those wheels and rolling those trucks. And uh, so, so they roll in a lot more now than they used to, and less and less and less and less are fires, um, more medical, more car wreck, you know, rescues, things like that. Um, but, but they get a long time ago, you know, they can't really start running the tires. So, yeah, false alarm, no issues. They're running them. They can justify that at the end of the year. But family runs with them. They need more money now, <laughs> things like that. And um, this long-going, uh, long-going joke, you know, if you're in a paramedic or a firefighter field, you can get that. A little uh, competition, I guess, between the medics and the firemen, like that. And we always, uh, I still have great friends, field and uh, best friends, matter of fact. And uh, whenever I see my firefighter buddies, you know, on Facebook, send them an email or something, and I'm like, so, did y'all save any chimneys this week? <laughs> because, again, so many times, it's so involved, depending on what's burning, uh, all they do is save the chimney. So you call the fire department, you get out there, sometimes it's way too late, so that's kind of an ongoing joke between the and fire is. Uh, yeah, firemen save an awful lot of chimneys, don't they? But um, but they do good work, and and again, not that that's just kind of an inside joke with us that are in the, in the field. Uh, so you're saving the chimneys this week because when they're done, that's all you see left is, is the chimney. But not in all cases, they save a lot of homes and a lot of lives. But while we're there, uh, and 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 the, and the more they can make that truck roll out of the truck uh, out of the station, uh, the more justification they have to get more tax dollars. Bottom line. <laughs> Probably too much more than, than, than some people wanted to know, and a little off topic, but but it, it, it would give you a little bit of history there, and uh, not to worry about calling because because they're there to do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's let's start with uh, smoke detectors. Uh, fire extinguishers are, are important too, but we'll we'll uh, save them for a little, a little bit later because they're that's a, lo- a little more complicated topic. Um, the smoke detectors are something that really is a um, that has been a a real boon to the to the entire home safety scene. I mean the um, the um, there's a, I know there's some statistics on it, um, and I'll, I'll probably I'll probably run across the one that stuck in my mind earlier. But uh, uh, regarding how you know how safe how much safer the the presence of detectors have made you know a a, a residential situation, but but the um, the houses are where the fires are the most problems. They, more than 75% of all fire deaths in the United States are happen in houses, in homes, you know, residences, homes, as opposed to at the shopping mall or businesses or industrial or uh, any other, you know, any other fire situation. So, so, with 75% of fire deaths occurring in in homes, 
um, uh, any investment in smoke detectors is going to be a good one. And you know, these days, um, you know, you can get a, a smoke detector for $19 or, or less. I mean, I'm sure there's some that are even less than on sale. Um, and of course, uh, code compliance, uh, modern codes require that there be detectors in, installed in, you know, in homes and new, con new construction, and and that has been going on for a while. So, you know, any modern home is going to have uh, is going to have uh, uh, a smoke detector, at least one on every floor if there's one or two floors um and um and of course there'll be others there should be others in in different locations uh, and you can you can go as much you know as far as you want in uh with new construction or if if you want to um if you want to uh, modify and retrofit you can you can do whatever you need to for um, existing construction but uh you know but the point is that that a um, a smoke detector on every floor is going to be a a uh, you know, a very, very good investment, and it's a very inexpensive uh, expenditure. Um, uh, here's the fact: the thing I was just, I was just looking at the uh, trying to remember the uh, the installation of one smoke detector doubles the chances of someone escaping a nighttime fire. Of course, the daytime is different because people are awake, but in a nighttime fire situation in the dark, just one smoke detector um, doubles the chances of someone escaping uh, escaping the house in a fire. And um, and many smoke detectors are wired um, in series so that if one goes off, they all go off uh, in a you know in a modern situation, uh, modern construction. So you may have four detectors uh, you know outside the bedroom, maybe in the kitchen, one outside each bedroom door, um, maybe in the uh, uh, laundry room or something like that, or or, or wherever furnace area. Um, and um, and if one goes off, they all go off. So uh, someone in that far corner bedroom. Uh, a fire may be in the laundry room, for example, at one end of the house, and and the uh, uh, you know the dryer was turned on uh, before everybody went to bed just to make sure the clothes were dry, and then uh, maybe the lint caught on fire, and somebody in the far extreme end of the house upstairs um, may not hear one one detector shrieking behind a closed laundry door, but they certainly will if all if they all go off. So that's uh, you know that's the way they're set up these days, and uh, it's a good a good idea. Um, so as you mentioned, there are two types of smoke detectors, and one is the ionization type. The, uh, that's the type that probably causes the most concern, and it's really it's really quite misplaced concern. There is a very low-grade amount of radioactive material within the ionizing um, detectors. I mean, a minute amount, and it's a very low-grade radioactive material, but it is, it is necessary to make it work. Um, this is not something that walking by it or, or you know, standing near it is going to is going to affect anybody at all whatsoever. Um, they are um, when they're disposed of, they should be disposed of as a hazardous material because you you wouldn't want you know you wouldn't want a bunch of them just all you know all just floating around in you know in many in a higher volume that you know they, of course they become a little more uh, potentially toxic but um, but uh, you know they're not they're not the scary you know, radioactive emitting devices that um, sometimes they're made out to be. It's a it's a very low grade um, material, but, but uh, in any case, the um, the the radioactive ions make the air conduct electricity, and there's a special chamber that senses that. So when when smoke particles, when very very minute smoke particles um, enter the air chamber or the te or the test chamber. Uh, the alarm's triggered because the ionization um, allows a, 
conduction and uh, and the, the circuit is completed, so to speak. So the smoke particles um, trigger the alarm, and um, you know the the uh, alarm goes off, and that's uh, and that's that. Um, the other type of detector is a, a photoelectric detector, and that that works on light. Uh, there's a little there's a little chamber. It's a dark chamber, and the uh, photoelectric detector is um, you know is aimed through it. And um, when smoke comes into the enters the air chamber, uh, the light reflects off them and and triggers the uh, sensor, which activates the alarm just like uh, the same you know in, in the same way or in the same sequence that the um, that the radio uh, that the ionization type did. So in either case. One works on light, one works on radi radiation ions, um, but the alarm is activated. Um, now, as you also mentioned, there's two, uh, you know, one is really better than the other for certain types of things, or one type is better for certain types of things than the other type. The ionization detectors are very quick to respond. They sense, um, they sense things uh, very rapidly, and they, um, and they respond best to the open flaming uh, Fires, you know, cooking flash-ups, uh, something that bursts into flame, um, and they immediately go off, and um, and you know that's that's good in areas like um, you know maybe like the kitchen or or someplace where you where you might expect uh, a blaze to you know just just pop off. Um, the photoelectric models are uh, better suited to a smoldering type type of fire, really small, slow and smoldering, sort of something that takes a while to build up, uh, like. Um, Electrical wiring, for example, is a good example of that. It gets hot, it gets super hot, and then it starts to melt into the insulation and you know and burn it. Um, the uh, burning upholstery, like a, a cigarette or an ember from the fireplace on, on a on a couch or a cigarette that's um, left you know uh, fell into the crevice in the couch or somebody fell asleep on the couch smoking or something. Um, that slow smoldering type type of fire is uh, is better detected by um, by the photoelectric models. So um you know you can you can either install the either type of of um smoke detector in the in the ideal situation for where you're planning to use it or you can um if you you know really want to make a safe choice you can use both types of detector at the same location because that way you've covered all bases um and these days there are more expensive units with both sensors Included in each unit. In other words, they they are um, you know they have both a photoelectric and a and a uh, uh, ionization sensor built in the same unit. Some, so um, some even have uh, bright uh, LED uh, lights that will light up, kind of to show your way uh, through the smoke yes, down the hallway, things like that. I have lights on them, and, and some will even have. Uh, I've even seen some, I guess, with strobes for folks that are hearing impaired. That, and it'll, it'll flash a strobe light if, if you uh, are, are maybe have a hearing impairment. Exactly. Yeah. That's you know as we go up the scale in, in um, cost, of course, they'll have all these features, and you can um, you know all this stuff may not be available at the local Home Depot or you know Menards or wherever um, you know right on the shelf there. But often enough, um, it may be available online through the you know through the bigger mm -hmm. uh, bigger stores, and and certainly at uh, specialty shops, uh, you know places where where um, that kind of thing is sold, um, uh, you know, more uh, exclusively uh, places where, um, you know, they'll have safety equipment and uh, may, perhaps even fire extinguisher uh, sources and places like that. And you know, online, of course, is a is a great place to look. But you can also find 
you know, find businesses, local businesses, or um, or uh, you know, er- something in your area at least that that you can actually um, you know buy locally. Um, the the other thing important to remember with smoke detectors is that you can um, uh, they're they're either uh, hardwired, in other words, they're run to the through the AC circuits in the house, or they're battery powered, or they're or ideally they're both. So the point is that um, that in the in the beginning, um, when the smoke detectors detectors were first installed due to code compliance, a lot of people, uh, you know, of course the wires were run in the wall and the and the, the detectors were placed in the proper location, and uh, and they were simply just run off of AC power. Um, unfortunately, there's two things wrong with that. One is there is potential situation if there's a fire in the, in the right location that the electrical wiring will be um, will be dis uh, you know dis Connected or uh, or uh, disturbed or non-functional because of the fire, and then the smoke detectors don't work. Or more realistically, in power outages when there is no power, mm-hmm. um, which is which is the ideal time for people to be really ex- expecting a lot more out of their wood stoves and 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 mm-hmm. uh, burning appliances, uh, kerosene heaters, things that you know propane heaters, things that may not be uh, tested regularly or may not have been used um, all you know for eight months and then all of a sudden you expect it to work without really having tried it um, or maybe um, dangerously overheating the uh, wood stove uh, and you haven't had your chimney cleaned in six years and that, that kind of thing So um, uh, and you have no power in the house so uh, the smoke detectors are, are, are useless um, if, if you happen to have a detector that is, that is, that is um, AC only or again, even if you have one that's that's a battery powered only, it is it is really um, fairly important to uh, one way or the other try to um, try to set it up so that you have a have a um, dual power source uh, smoke detector. If you already have a, a wire running to it, it's easy. Just the 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 next one you purchase or the or you when you replace the one you the one you have, make certain that it's a um, a dual power. Uh, AC household and DC battery unit. Um, if you if you have a uh, just a remote no wire type uh, battery powered unit, you might want to think about having uh, an electrician come in and um, hardwire um, hardwire the um, the unit so it it will be connected to the AC system. Or if you can, if you're capable of doing it, just uh, uh, if it's near an outlet, just run it, uh, run a um, cord down from the um, from the AC unit down to the, uh, you know, to a plug or something, and and that and leave it in, leave the plug in all the time, and uh, and that'll function as well. Um, and you know that brings up another thing is that um, is that um, the uh, smoke detectors have to be placed uh, in a good, you know, in a good location. Uh, they they don't need they they um, have to be put outside of each bedroom. That's you know that's normally where they are put, and of course one on each level of the house, uh, including the basement, by the way, because that's often where the you know furnaces are, and there may be some other smoldering issues down there. Possibly people sometimes store um, store newspapers or rags or oily things or whatever, and that can actually self combust in some situations. Uh, not a very common thing, but it, it can happen. Um, the um, uh, they are placed high on the wall because smoke rises, and um, and they're usually not placed in corners, and they're not placed near air 
registers like intake or or uh, outlet registers for the furnace because it that'll blow the um, smoke out of the way and you you don't want that you want it to be in a situation where the smoke is most likely to find the detector in its travels and um, and that would be sort of in the middle of the wall away from any ducting and um, and not not low but high where the smoke was going to um, uh, you know go to rest it's either high on the wall or, or on the ceiling um, the um, you know some other uh, if if you're going whole hog and you really want to uh, to cover all bases uh, they can be located inside the sleeping rooms they can be put in you know in hallways and utility rooms storage spaces um, you know uh, the uh, above la floor landings uh, in first to second floor um, what where they don't really work well is in uh, in the um, kitchen like right over the stove that's that's a place where there's going to be a lot of vapors steam vapor fumes and um, and um, uh, smoke from cooking, and that's going to trigger it a whole lot, which you don't want, and it's also going to uh, eventually clog up the uh, equipment. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, living in uh, living in, in an RV um, uh, many months out of the year and traveling, it's uh, uh, that that's you go to any campground, RV resort or campground, and then every morning when people get in the sausage, especially, you'll uh, start hearing the beep 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 beeps all through the campground and. You kind of know exactly what's uh, what's going on, and uh, uh, of course, um, uh, since Jen's not anywhere near me right now, I sometimes joke with her and tell her. Now, now, Jen, just you have to realize the smoke detector is not a cooking timer. Uh, if it's going off, then we've probably cooked it too long. <laughs> but she, we joke around with that a lot in the camper as well, because it goes off so much. Because uh, it's you know your limited space, it's, it's cramped sometimes, and it's so close to the stove. Uh, even when you just open the oven. Um, it'll it'll go off due to the, the, the heat kind of coming out of it and traveling up there, so it can be aggravating. Now you know some of them have a um, uh, not a not a pause button, but a silent button that for, for that exact uh, thing, you know, it goes off cooking bacon, smoke, or whatever. You can reach up if it's accessible to reach and just pop that silent button, and it'll it'll immediately silent instead of you having to take the uh, pot holder over there and fan it for 15 seconds while. <laughs> while you get it to stop, but I think everybody out there listening has experienced that once or twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely true. They have a, a stop button, or on mine, uh, have a little door that opens, the, you know, the access door for the battery opens, and when you open that door, then, then it shuts off. Um, so, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, installing it away from the stove is, is definitely, um, you know, a good idea. Um the and one thing the other thing that uh, I didn't realize until I you know looked into it a little bit was that they um they do need to be cleaned regularly not not internally but uh, but externally i mean obviously they they should be cleaned if they're if they're filthy looking i mean they collect dust and everything that, but that's not the reason they they need to be the surface needs to be cleaned to be able to read the um, to read the smoke properly so it, the smoke doesn't actually get captured in dust and cobwebs and any other substance that may be you know that may be uh, adhered to the surface of the uh, of the uh, uh, detector and and cover covering the vents that allow the or the grill or whatever that allows the smoke to enter the the unit. So it has to be you know um, just gently rubbed off with a with a soft cloth or or a, or a napkin, um, paper towel, whatever. Um, and uh, it can be vacuumed, but not not directly. I mean, not too not just sort of passed over the surface of it without really contacting it because it you can actually uh damage the internal components by if it you know it's too much suction <clears throat> placed on it. 
Um, the cupboard definitely has to go on. Uh, the other thing I did not know, as well, also is that um, is that um, you never are to paint the outside of the um, the outside of the smoke detectors the cover. Um, uh, and I don't I I don't quite understand the reason. I understand that it, it could possibly block the uh, block the uh, grills sometimes a sloppy a sloppy paint job dripping paint whatever will cover up some of the uh, grills and they 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 need to work everyone needs to be fully exposed and open to for the machine to work properly um but you more importantly you should never spray um water or solvents on it like uh, don't take your your uh, mr you know your uh, fantastic or your windex or whatever and spray the outside of it then clean it because that will damage the inside of the components It'll, it could moisture and vapor water vapor could or chemical vapor could get in the uh, in the sensing chambers and and damage or destroy them so um when you clean it you just need to you know a brush um a um a light vacuuming or just a a, a clean dry rag to wipe it off and uh, you know just keep keep it clean um they should really be tested um um uh, you know they normally chirp when the battery is low it will chirp for a while and then it will stop chirping and you you really need to replace the battery when it's still chirping or it will stop completely and you'll forget that it that it was chirping and and your battery will be gone so uh, so really it's a a good point to keep an extra battery on hand um in your buy so that when it chirps you can just take make it a point to uh, to replace that battery um and um uh, battery operated especially should be tested uh if they're if they're only battery operated, they should be tested um, on a monthly basis, and the batteries definitely need to be replaced every year. And a lot of people are sort of attuned to the fact that I don't really quite understand who, what agency started it, or if it was just a um, an idea from the manufacturers. But when people set their clocks back or ahead at the at the time change, um, it's become a habit to um, remind people to change the change the um, batteries in their smoke detectors so that's a good you know good time to think about that so just automatically because the little investment in a in a few dollar battery is is, is well worth it uh, to have the system operating all the time um so that's uh that's so much for smoke detectors and they're of course they're um as you mentioned earlier they're in a, in a home that's you know 100 percent electric um the carbon monoxide detectors which we're going to talk about now are are not as important because really nothing that's going to make carbon monoxide fumes but but a smoke detector still is critical in a, a all electric home because there can be an electrical fire and that you know that's not only smoke but fire so um uh, you know that's um it can happen and um uh, and so that's uh, important to remember that even if you don't have a gas or an oil heater or a gas heater or any kind of source of uh, actual combustible fuel you do have power coming in through a wire and that's always uh at some degree of risk for a short or a uh, a problem. So, you know, smoke detectors are are really important. Um but the carbon monoxide detectors is I wouldn't say it's it's new, but it's fairly new. Um they they have not been around as long. Um it's a you know, as you all probably realize it's a it's a it's called symbol is CO, uh capital C capital O it's a carbon monoxide one one oxygen molecule it's a colorless odorless gas that's um that's uh, deadly um does not take all that long to uh, uh render people unconscious and then and then uh, succumb to you know to the gas 
um, anything, any time any fuel is burned, there is some degree of um, of uh, carbon monoxide released. And propane, for example, isn't nearly as isn't nearly as um, uh, dangerous, say, as natural gas. Um, and exhaust fumes in cars at one time, exhaust fumes in cars before the before the uh, catalytic combustors and all the all the uh, pollution regulation that sort of began in the in the uh, well, it started in the mid 60s, but when they started to get serious with the, with the catalytic combustors in the 70s and onward, um, the cars, believe it or not, have actually gotten fairly clean cleaned up. That it's it is um, I wouldn't say it's it's super difficult, but it is probably safe to say it's a lot more difficult to um, become um, have a problem with carbon monoxide uh, in a closed garage with a modern car than it is with, an, with a, say, a 1960 Falcon or something. Um, it's, um, you know, the, the newer cars are, are that much cleaner, so it would take, it would take quite a, a long time of exposure to, you know, do the damage. But, but that's not really the problem these days. Cars isn't so much the problem. What really is a problem is uh, uh, portable generators, um, pumps, things like that, things that use small um, portable engines, uh, you know, the um, mower-type engine, that uh, single cylinder or maybe maybe a double dual cylinder, but mainly the single cylinder small engines that um, that really don't have that much in the way of any kind of pollution um, control. And people will run them in basements or in um, breezeways or in uh, closed um, uh, areas that... Uh, connectors between the house and the garage or in the garage and, and uh, leave the door open a crack figuring it's enough, but it, it's really not. Um, every year, uh, I'm, I'm sure dozens of people across the country are, are um, lose their lives due to um, improper use of the generators. So, um, of course, these are all times when there's no power. Um, and, and in, of course, in some of those cases, there's no, um, uh, the carbon, if the carbon monoxide detectors are hardwired only and they're not getting power, um, the generators don't always, usually not always used to jet to fulfill the whole house. They're only used to, to take care of certain situations like the refrigerator or a pump or something like that. So not everybody has a whole house generator. Um, but uh, anyway, the carbon carbon monoxide detectors are, um, are really made to um, sense problems in things like furnaces, water, gas water heaters, gas dryers, uh, gas stoves, space heaters, charcoal grills. That's another source of, uh, of problems in, the, in power outages and in the winter when people use them to cook indoors. Um, Wood-burning stoves, uh, that's another possibility. Fireplaces, um, every, all, these, all these things, all these appliances and, and uh, uh, devices produce carbon monoxide and, they, um, and they're all potentially uh, risky. So um, there could be any reason why they, they're they're not um, they're not vented properly. They're not uh, uh, they're not tuned properly. The engines are not tuned properly. The um, there may be a blockage um, in the exhaust system. Um, essentially, the flu, like you mentioned, squirrels or birds or whatever nesting in a flu. Um, that's a very common issue. Um, the flu of a um, say a wall heater that hasn't been used all all year until you, that first time. Um, a um, you know a furnace or whatever um, the um, the CO levels can be at dangerous and extremely dangerous without any fire being in other words there's a, there's a fire in the in the device but it's not on fire um, but still the uh, CO levels can be at uh, can be at dangerous levels so um, so it doesn't necessarily have to go hand in hand with a fire um, 
So what happens is the carbon monoxide basically just displaces the oxygen in the bloodstream, and uh, as I said, it, it people succumb and they and they uh, you know basically uh, collapse, and then they there's no after that unless they're pulled out, there's no saving them. They you know they the uh, they just uh, die from lack of oxygen, um, and and that also causes uh, can cause extended you know long term issues like uh, brain damage and, and that kind of thing. So um, the uh, you know even if someone uh, survives, uh, there can be serious issues later on. Uh, so the CO detectors are are generally more expensive than household uh, smoke detectors. I think I, mine I, I paid forty dollars for it at a big box store. Um, it's a it's it's a plug in with a battery backup, um, and I I do believe they have battery only plug in with battery and uh, and hardwired. But uh, you know it's very easy to find the uh, the CO detectors with both the battery and the AC power. Um, they can be hardwired into a into a wire, but the one I'm very simple to just it's about the size of a oh maybe a um, I don't know maybe a small macaroni and cheese box maybe not even that big um, and it just has a plug uh, on the back of it and you can just plug it right in the outlet and leave the other um, I think this particular one had was the plug was at the base so you could still use the other outlet or or I've seen types that just cover the whole outlet, but um, you'll have to just sacrifice that at one outlet for the CO detector. Um, and they, you know, just as, as soon as the CO in the living area or wherever it is is um, is detected, it will sound off an alarm, um, and you can, um, uh, you know, you can evacuate and, uh, and then open open the windows and take care of uh, the situation. Um, but, you know, again, a, a very good investment. Um, and uh, placing them in the living area, and uh, you know, if possible, if you can uh, swing the expense, just to one in every sleeping area. That's um, you know, a real a real good idea. Um, and there are other features. On some of them, have two level responses where there's a a low level um, warning, and uh, and then um, you know, it, it also senses the high level uh, high level, so that um, you can uh, you know, you can look for those if you if you really want a a, a very minute sensing of uh, of uh, CO levels. Um, I know in my own home it's tight enough that if I if I do not open a window, I have to keep in the winter keep a window cracked um, uh, enough to let to to replace any of the air that the wood stoves burn. Uh, if I do not do that, it is probably within two hours that I start to you know get headaches. You start to realize that the um, that the uh, CO levels are 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 diminishing or increasing oxygen levels diminishing and um, and you know it really doesn't take um, that much to uh, you know to reduce levels to reduce oxygen levels in in the, in the house so uh, a good investment now the fire extinguishers that's a little more complicated um, and there's two or three things here that are you know that are important um, one I think I already mentioned is that uh, don't assume that um, the little uh, you know, the little $15 a plastic one or, the, or whatever you may, the, the, what I would call a task extinguisher um, is going to be adequate for mo- much of anything in, in the household. Um, they they give more than, I guess what I would, I would think they would give a sort of a fairly serious peace of mind that you really don't have, you really don't have, um, you think you have it, but it's, um, it's not going to be adequate. Uh, some of these things exhaust their Entire contents in less than eight seconds, and that's not going to do much of really much of anything unless it's a very specific, uh, very very localized, um, you know, fire. 
Um, the other thing is that many extinguishers aren't designed to be used on all types of fires. So um, I think we should pro probably uh, cover that first. There's three types of combustibles in the household fire, in the typical household fire, and they're um, there's, they're arranged in classes. And I'm, I'm not going to get into the into the some of the electronic and computer related things or the or the automotive um, you know high tech automotive uh, extinguishers that are used for you know for uh, vehicle racing vehicles and some of the other other applications that just not that sort of specialized. But in in a regular hey. old house. Richard, if you don't mind, before we yep. cover fire extinguishers, because we've got to cover ABC and, and we're talking about that, if I can right. take a yeah. break, and then let's oh, yeah, come sure. back and, uh, and we'll cover those. That'll be awesome. We're yep. talking with Richard Frudenberger, publisher of Backcomb Magazine for 22 years, I think it is, and uh, he's been joining us here on the show for a couple of years now, maybe even three years now, with uh, great information about in and around the homestead. Today we're talking about fire safety, good timely uh, topic for uh, for the season. And we've shared already a lot of great information. We're going to be covering fire extinguishers and some other topics when we return. So stay with us, folks. Don't go away. More important information coming up here on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Give the chicken fountain a try. It's clean water by design. It's a new way to water your flock. Chickens to turkeys to ducks to peacocks. Nothing to lose, so start today. Not a major water the easy way. Are you in the market for a new chicken coop? Want one that will outlast all the others? Then check out Urban Coop Company. All of their coops are made from 100% appearance-grade western red cedar with galvanized hardware and advanced all-weather joinery right here in the USA. Compared to other coops, Urban Coop Company coops will last longer and look better doing it. They're designed to be both beautiful and functional. In fact, they have earned the Chicken Whisperer seal of approval and are Chicken Whisperer approved. I invite you to browse their website to learn more about the many features of their coops and check out their integrated coop accessories that will make your life easier. Urban Coop Company is a family-owned business located in Dripping Springs, Texas, USA. They are passionate about building great coops because they know you're passionate about your backyard chickens. Visit them online at urbancoopcompany.com. That's urbancoopcompany.com. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, 
Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at idealpoultry.com. That's idealpoultry.com. Pictures of chickens on aprons are common across America, but picture a chicken wearing an apron and you'll probably get a good chuckle. Laugh if you must, but nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster and may even provide protection from an unexpected hawk attack. Hen savers come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and standard sized hens and roosters. Colors include camo, denim, navy, brown, khaki or black, and soon pink. Crazy K Farm is expanding its already colorful hen saver collection to include the color pink. A portion of their sales will be donated to organizations that fund breast cancer research and awareness. Order your Hen Saver aprons today at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFradio.com. That's GQFradio.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. How would you like a punch in the beak? This looks like a job for Super Chicken. You get the super sauce, I'll don my super suit. Actually, in reality, I am Super Chicken. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Again, our guest is Richard Frodenberger, publisher of Back Home Magazine. Visit them online at backhomemagazine.com. You can get 22 years worth of valuable information, um, just about just about anything regarding sustainable living and, and homesteading. Uh, again, that's backhomemagazine.com. You can get uh, if you don't have a lot of space to carry 22 years worth of magazines. DVD, baby. Yep, pop it in that laptop or your computer, and you've got 22 years of excellent information, reliable, uh, good information at your fingertips about just about anything. Solar power, wind power, cooking with cast iron, best wood for the wood stoves, uh, cutting wood, the best, you know, anything and everything. You hear Richard here on the second and fourth Thursday of every month. We're very glad to have him back today. We're talking about fire safety uh, all around the uh, homestead. We've covered fire extinguishers and carbon monoxide. Um, and we're start, starting to talk about fire extinguishers now. We talk about smoke detectors and, and carbon monoxide detectors and, and things like that. But fire extinguishers, something to pay attention to here when he teaches us about this, uh, different classes, the A, B, and the C. I think there's a D now as well, and uh, the different types. Uh, and um, uh, as a former firefighter, I can tell you to please uh, don't become um, a statistic where you the firefighter comes into the house, finds you dead in the kitchen holding a fire extinguisher. Uh, we want you to get out if there's a fire, but we understand that there's a place for fire extinguishers where they can be used safely and uh, effectively. Um, and, and unfortunately, again, because they're not cheap, 
uh, price is the enemy sometimes, where we're like, oh, this one should be fine. Oh, this one's only $49, but uh, this one I probably really need is $140. So, so price is a factor. I get that, uh, but it, it could be a safety issue. Um, but there are many on the market. I know the Kitty brand is, is a real popular brand out there, and there's a, I'm trying to think of the other one that's very popular. I can't put my finger on it right this very second. But uh, good, good information. Uh, Richard, thanks for uh, joining us uh, today. And um, we'll talk all about the uh, different types of fire extinguishers, maybe the best fire needs. Yeah, and before, right before that, uh, I you re- reminded me, um, I, I want to say before before I forgot, um, when you get into the into the correct size, in other words, you're 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 absolutely right. The cheaper ones probably are not adequate, so you're going to have to start looking at at something of a, of a reasonable size. Um, and when you start looking at a new cost on those, they can get a little bit uh, expensive. What I did was um, was I went down to the local rechart the the fellow who services the fire extinguishers for the all the businesses and and commercial you know all the accounts for the for the commercial um, um, accounts and the uh, businesses and the all that kind of thing and you know he drives around and uh, services and tests and you know resets and whatever they do um he has uh, I, I didn't think about it but but um I was going to inquire as to the cost of ordering one but he said why get a new one I you know we all the time pick up people who are out of business people expand or or whatever they do and he is uh, left with um you know a whole shelves full of, of used equipment that's perfectly good um they get re you know recharged anyway on a regular basis so um, he ends up just buying, um, you know, lots of uh, of different, various sizes, different applications, whatever. And I, I got probably, um, I paid probably sixty or seventy percent of what a new one would cost by just buying a used one. And um, you know, for, they probably have never been used, and most of them don't. You know, when they re, when they re, um, charge them, they, uh, you know, it's essentially starting from scratch, and they're, you know, heavy metal cylinders, and they have heavy valves in them and handles and such. So uh, they just go through that and re-service everything and on a, on a regular basis. And um, and um, uh, so it's you know, essentially the same as buying a new one. So you might think about that. Every every community or small town, whatever, even has a uh, has somebody in the area that services fire extinguishers. So you might want to check with them before but you buy new. I still recommend, I'm far from an expert with fire extinguishers, though my background, but I, I can remember, and it may have just been urban legend, urban myth, whatever you want to call it, but uh, even around the firehouse, we would talk about, um, you know, if you have a fire extinguisher that's just, just sitting there on, under the sink under the cap, that, you know, especially the, I can't, unfortunately, remember ABC, um, where, where it's got the powder, most of the powder ingredients in there, um, that, you know, occasionally you need to, Go by, tap that, you know, turn it upside, you know, so it doesn't. I've heard rumors about that powder packing down over the months, years, just sitting there upright down to the bottom of. Have you heard any? I mean, I can I vividly remember folks uh, in the fire industry talking about that. Um, uh, you know, the, the people we would carry one in our, our personal truck, you know, and it's like, oh, well, lay it down this way for a while, then turn it over on the other side and let it lay on that side for a while so that, that ingredient, that that, that CO, the, the powder in there doesn't settle and pack down at the bottom. Have, have, in all your, have you ever heard that before? Because that happens yes. always when we talked about fire extinguishers, that always came up. Yeah, exactly. That's absolutely correct. When I bought this, when I bought mine from the, actually I bought three of them, but when I bought them, um, he said, it's exactly said that to me. The 
the material in the in the uh, general household extinguisher is um, is a ammonium uh, what is it called it's ammonium phosphate and it's, a, it's a very fine powder and he what he told me was definitely when you think about it I mean it doesn't have to be every day of course but uh, you know every uh, if you can do it every month maybe or just or just one, you know once in a while when you think about it just he said just not just uh, pick it up and roll it back and forth a little bit or rock it back and forth uh, maybe tap the uh, turn it upside down and tap the bottom of it against the uh, against the uh, door jam or you know against the concrete wall so not not roughly but just enough to shake everything loose and just you know move it around a little bit and then then put it back um because it will dislodge the powder and let it uh, let it free itself up a little bit in there so uh because if it is not if it is not um uh moved around it's going to pack and settle and that's not that's not good because it won't discharge them when you pull the pin. Um, we'll talk about the classes of um, of combustibles. So the the fire extinguishers are rated in three different. Well, there's more than three classes, but we're just going to talk about three. Class A is combustibles like uh, wood and cloth, and um, you know paper and uh, and trash and the kind of stuff that um, uh, you know burns. Uh, you might have in a burn pile like plastic. Um, you know that kind of thing, and type, uh, type class B. Class B is flammable liquids, um, and they include uh, cooking grease, um, uh, gasoline, uh, kerosene, solvents, paints, oils, that 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 sort of thing. It's a liquid. It's a liquid that can burst into flame. Um, and class C is your electrical fires, uh, wiring, appliances, um, any electrical components, motors. Um, relays, that kind of thing. So in a house, all three of those situations will exist, and so the extinguisher should be able to handle all three of them instead of being a specific, um, you know, specific, say, wood-only situation. Now, in some, if you're in, a, if you have a situation where you know it's only one risk, I mean, it may just be combustibles or it may just be an electrical, then you you could you could safely use or purchase that. One kind of extinguisher, and they are available. But, but for you know, probably 90% of the applications, um, a a class ABC extinguisher is is what you want. Um, you know, the A, the class A, um, uh, you know, fires or the you know, general household stuff. Class class B is more likely in the uh, workshop or garage, um, uh, maybe in the kitchen where you have oils and such. Um, any place utility rooms where you might have storage and stuff like that, and Class C is uh, is going to be more likely at the electrical service entrance, um, you know, where there's or a place where there's a lot of motors. But you know, most households have motors, you know, several motors around. Um, but the ABC rating is the ideal um, uh, extinguisher, and the ammonium phosphate is a, a dry chemical powder that uh, will handle all those things universally that we just mentioned. So it's um, it's a little bit corrosive, uh, you know, on the surfaces when it's discharged, and it's sort of sort of messy. But um, this is, you know, we're talking about a fire, so that um, I mean, any damage uh, like that is really just part of the deal. You can't, uh, you know, you can't um, rely on uh, or worry about what's going to happen in the aftermath. If you put the fire out, you've done a good job. Um, the, the bonus of this is that the um, is that the discharge is sort of sticky? It's a sloppy, sticky mess, so it will it will stick to whatever it hits, and that's what has to happen to put the fire out. So, um, you know, for an overhead fire, for example, if um, you know if it's up 
up in in an attic or uh, where you have to actually shoot upwards, it will stick to the surfaces. So that's you know that's good. So the other extinguishers. Richard? Oh, I wonder if he got dis, uh, disconnected. Let me get back over here to the uh, switchboard screen and uh, see if we still have him uh, in the queue. He has been disconnected, so uh, I'm sure he'll call back here in just a moment. <laughs> so uh, while we're doing that, we'll take uh, just, just a short break while uh, Richard uh, calls uh, calls back in. McMurray Hatchery is the world's oldest and largest rare breed hatchery. They have been providing their customers quality poultry since 1917 and have more than 110 different breeds to choose from. Be sure to sign up for their weekly special email at mcmurrayhatchery.com and receive a $5 internet exclusive coupon to use on your first internet order. McMurray Hatchery, the world's largest and oldest rare breed hatchery. All right, thanks for staying with us, folks. Richard, you are back live. Uh, there's yeah. a disconnect there for some reason. Yeah, we we did. I guess I don't, I'm not sure what happened, but uh, I'm not sure when that happened. I think I, I was finishing the ABC extinguishers. Did uh, did that come through? Correct. Yep. 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 Okay. So the um, yeah the uh, the other types. There's a BC rated extinguisher, and there's a um, and there's a um, which which uses uh, either a sodium bicarbonate, which is just baking soda. Or carbon dioxide um, gas, and uh, and that's um, uh, that's a little bit lighter, of course, and uh, and is um, uh, you know good for the for the BC types of fires. Um, there are some other BC fire uh, contents like Kalon um, and some other other things, but I, you know to get into those, I, probably the best thing to do. They're sort of specialty uses, and and where where you purchase the extinguisher. Uh, especially if it's at a place that's sort of a specialty store that handles them, they'll be able to explain that a lot more effectively than I can in the few minutes we have. Um, the um, uh, the important thing to remember is that if you buy a BC ex- extinguisher, it is not effective on a Class A fires, and if you buy a, a Class A fire extinguisher for combustibles, it's not going to be effective on the BC. So, um, so the you know the best situation for for most of us is going to be just the ABC extinguisher. Now the way they're rated is what we were talking about earlier about how ineffective a small one can be. Um, real quickly, and you probably know this, Andy. The um, you know they they test it by uh, they build a um, a certain size um, um, fuel source, uh, so many square feet of of, uh, of a pad they 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 put of say wood, and um, and then they have uh, they actually test it by having professional firefighters uh, put it out, and the conditions are, are all. Are all consistent, so they can actually test to see, you know, to see how much, it, how long, and how much it takes to um, to put the fire out. So there's, it's a very, it's a very stringent test, and uh, you know, with the flaming, with the flaming, um, the one, the A test is on flaming, furring strips of wood. The the uh, liquid test is 25 square feet of burning uh, petroleum, and you know, so on and so forth. So it's a very standardized way of testing. So. Um, then they rate the extinguishers based on the size of the uh, the size of the conflagration, so that um, um, we've established we already want to we do want to go with the ABC type um, you know type uh, extinguisher, but uh, so you can purchase a uh, a 1A-10BC extinguisher, and that means that 
it'll put out 64 square feet of burning strips or 25 square feet of burning petroleum uh, at that size. In other words, that size size of extinguisher is meant to put out those numbers I just um, I just said. It doesn't really mean those numbers are really for testing. It doesn't. It's not a good gauge of what it'll do in a in a real situation um, specific to your house. But it is a gauge to know uh, compared to the next size up and the next size up from that. Um, essentially, the smallest extinguishers are really not going to be all that effective. They they do not last long enough or have the have the punch to to do much of anything other than put out a very um, task type of fire. A very uh, it's a very task oriented tool. And so if you're right there when something bursts into flame, for example, uh, and you have it at the ready uh, before it can get to grow, then it might be fine. But um, you know by the time you get the extinguisher located, get it, bring it back in, it, the, the conflagration could be so much larger and the extinguisher won't be that won't be that effective, especially if it's all gone in 10 seconds. Um, uh, you you really, probably, ideally, what I did was I, myself, got a couple of, I got the 10-pound um, model because that's a, that's, that's a, you know, fairly significant, uh, not, not the largest, but it's a fairly significant 4A-40 DC, so that's the number 4A and 40, 40 BC. Um, they call it a 10-pound extinguisher because that's the contents is measured in 10 pounds, but the weight, the physical weight of it is closer to 20 pounds. So, uh, you know, that's about as much, as big and as much weight as most people want to handle. I mean, just the average person. I mean, a, you know, a, a smaller child will not be able to use it very effectively. Um, someone who really isn't, doesn't have a good grip or just isn't maybe a frail person, uh, you know, uh, aging or, or just some whatever uh, physical disability, it's it's going to be a bit of a challenge, even 20 pounds. Um, so we have to think about that. But for most people, the 20-pound, uh, the 10-pound model of 4A-40 BC, which weighs 20 pounds, is going to be a good uh, a good choice. You can certainly go up from that size and get much more anti-fire power, if, if you want to put it that way. Um, and you know, again, pr- probably even just going online and looking at some of the commercial distributors or dealers for these uh, for some of these uh, some of this equipment would be uh, a real good start because it has uh, you know there will be some you know fairly detailed explanation as to uh, you know the costs and the coverage and all that kind of thing. Um, but um, you know, it is it is pretty important to make sure you have a large enough extinguisher to cover the ABC rating and um, and that you can actually use it and pick it up and you don't store it right next to where the fire is going to happen. In other words, putting it next to the furnace, the oil furnace, is not going to be a great place to keep it. You can put it, you know, in the vicinity of, away from, so that if the furnace does happen to burst into flame, you you can be reach into a closet that's uh, perhaps, you know, 15 feet away and then you can deal with it. Um, you don't want to put it next to, um, you know, right next to the wood stove because, uh, you know, that that could be you know where the um, uh, you know where the fire might be coming from, so just keep that in mind. Um, and uh, you know they shouldn't be they shouldn't be too high because it, they're they're on little uh, sort of like hooks. They're sort of curved hooks. They they rest in a cradle, I guess I call it. And they um, if it's too high, it may be difficult to reach up and get them off the cradle, considering their weight. Um, and uh, it's better just keep it at you know. A chest height or something you can actually get you know get to it and um and and unhook it and um and use it now um 
uh, I know we don't have a whole lot of time left, so I, I did want to um, I did want to just review that that PASS acronym you mentioned in the very beginning, uh -huh. the, the PASS method. Um, it's, it's, it's an acronym. It's P-A-S-S, -S, and that stands for uh, the steps you'll need to take to put the fire out effectively. Um, time and again, I've, I've, I've talked to firefighters uh, locally that have told me this. People do have extinguishers, that, and, they, and they do make their minds up to uh, handle it themselves after they've gotten the family out, um, and they totally um, mess it up by, by aiming the thing at, at the top of the flame, they don't, you know, they don't, they don't hit the fire. They hit, they hit, they hit the flames. They don't hit the source of the fire. So the pass uh -huh. is is a is a is a four step process. P is pull the pin, the safety catch the pin, the the cock, whatever it is that whatever it is that unlatches the handle. You pull that pin. A is aim at the base of the fire. Um, that's where the where the source of the fire is. So it's aim. S is the first S is squeeze, so you squeeze the the extinguisher handle, and that that will uh, pop the valve and release the contents of the extinguisher out of the nozzle, and it, it's very visible, so you'll see that you know see it come out. And once that's done, you can do the final S, which is sweep the extinguisher from side to side at the base of the fire or the source of the fire, and um, and you know uh, do your best to to get it out. Um, so just remembering that simple acronym is going to be, you know, going to be helpful. Um, again, as we talked about, in the, um, keeping the extinguisher shaken up or at least ready to go uh, by every, you know, occasionally just turning it upside down, shaking it, or rolling it around a little bit uh, without pulling the pin, by the way, um, uh, just to make sure that powder in there is, is loose. Um, it is it is possible if you do not do that. We pull that pin out, you squeeze that lever, and nothing happens because the the valve may open, but the the uh, the uh, pressure just can't suck out the powder because it's it's caked into a hard um, you know hard form and it just won't release. Mm -hmm. uh, when you're when you're actually discharging the canister, it has to be upright, so the nozzle has to be at the top and the bottom of the canister has to be at the at the bottom, and um, and it can tilt a little bit, you know. Obviously, you can rock, you can you can tilt it upward and downward as you need to, but not, you know, it can't be turned upside down to work properly. It has to it has to be held, you know, in as much of an upright position as, you know, as possible. Um, it you know pulls the contents from the bottom, so it um, it um, you know it has to work that way. Um, and you know, I guess the most important thing is that it's only a tool. It's not it's not the fire department. Um, if if it can be used to uh, knock down or even put out a fire if used correctly, but it's only a an aid. It's not, um, you know, it's not going to take care of the entire house. If there's a serious a serious fire and it's involved, um, the best thing to do is uh, just get out and get everybody out and and yourself out as quickly as possible and make sure the uh, uh, fire department is called um, immediately. So. Um, yeah, that's um, you know it's really there's no there's no risk and no sense in losing your life, risking your life and life and possibly losing it in uh, in attempting to put out a fire that is just not possible to put out with a with a ten pound extinguisher. So absolutely, and um, we, we've uh, seen it. We teach it. We we hear about it a lot. And um, like I said, when we just your, your best bet is to just try to to get out a lot of times extinguishers thing on the side of the fire won't work. Um, uh, I've seen it, I'm 45, and I've seen it a gazillion times. I've seen it once, someone trying to put out a car fire, you know, with, with this little extinguisher that's probably the size of a big gulp, 
<laughs> they got from the soft drink <laughs> from the from you know and I was like, Oh my gosh, it's what uphill battle I guess, you know, they want to help as much as they can but that little thing and geez, so um yeah, we we've seen it and then the, and then I've even seen some of these little uh plastic uh fire extinguishers that they sell even in the grocery store uh for kitchens kitchen fire extinguisher and it's no bigger than a uh a one liter bottle not even as big as a two liter bottle and it's white you pull the cap off and spray it almost like bug spray out it and uh i'm like i'm gonna get somebody killed or uh maybe for that just a, that split second of a grease fire if you're firing up some bacon or frying something gets to i, I just you know, so uh, yeah, fire extinguishers very important. Make sure you have the right one. Know how to use it, uh, the the pass um, uh, method, and uh, but don't don't take that don't take that chance. I think you're exactly right, and uh, we've seen it usually in time. So, um, Richard, thanks for coming on. It was a great show, very educational show. Um, I'm sure. Well, it does. It affects every single person, every single listener, everybody that's out there. Some people may know a lot about this. Always time for a good reminder. Uh, especially in the fall, and uh, we've already changed our clocks, but uh, if you haven't, hey, maybe we can uh, save some lives during the show today. Go and change out those batteries and those smoke detectors and those carbon monoxide detectors. Check your fire extinguisher if you have one. Look at the expiration date. Look if it's still charged, if it's still in the green. Check the date on it and um, see if it's time to uh, uh, maybe purchase a, a new one, or if it's if it's one that's capable, go and have it recharged um, at, at a local place that, that does that. So, Richard, great information. Thank you uh, very much. And like we said earlier, folks, um, you can visit them uh, backhomemagazine.com and you can get 22 years of uh, amazing information um, from Richard and through DVD format uh, at backhomemagazine.com. And there's an 800 number toll free that they can call too, right, Richard? It's 800-992-2546. Perfect. Richard, thanks so much for coming on. And uh, I think we've got maybe, well, let me see what Thursday is the, the next Thursday. No, the next Thursday is Christmas. We will not be having a show on Christmas Day as much as we love our listeners and we love to have you on, but we will not. So Merry Christmas to you, Richard. Happy New Year. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Holidays. Everything above. Happy New Year. And uh, we'll see you the second Thursday in January. And I'm uh, looking forward to a great 2015 with you. Okay, well, same to you and, and to, to Jen and the family, and, we'll, um, and we will um, talk to you in January. Great. Thanks so much. Happy holidays. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, Richard Frudenberger, publisher of Back Home Magazine, backhomemagazine.com, 22 years of information on a DVD-ROM, on a DVD. How cool is that? And uh, tons of great information. Looking forward to having Richard on in 2015 as well. So thank you very much for tuning in today. Hopefully it was a good review for you. If not, you learned something new. That's always great. Trying to save some lives. And keep your family safe. And uh, it's Thursday. No Friday shows means it's a long weekend. We'll return on Monday with another great episode of Ask the Chicken Doctor with Peter Brown. Have a great weekend. God bless everybody.